0: Employee frustration can be difficult to diagnose. Common symptoms may include keyboard thrashing, aggressive hair pulling, anxious sobbing, (laughs) and the royal I quit. quit. If you detect one or more of (laughs) these, your team may be infected with the highly contagious software frustritis. Don't panic. WalkMe's contextual guidance simplifies any software, providing an intuitive and hassle-free user experience. Everybody wins, gets more done, Join thousands of leading enterprises that simplify their workflow with WalkMe. WalkMe. Get started now.
1: Introducing the new era of digital identity with SoCure, the leading provider of digital identity verification solutions. The world is shifting to digital services. More and more people are expecting everyday transactions and government services to be readily available online. But this shift has also created new opportunities for fraudsters and identity thieves, which can put individuals and organizations at risk. That's why SoCure has developed a suite of cutting-edge digital identity verification solutions that can help prevent fraud while also ensuring equitable access for all demographics. SoCure leverages machine learning, AI, and biometric capture to provide fast and accurate verification even for those without traditional forms of identification. Whether you're a government agency looking to modernize your identity verification processes or a business looking to protect your customers and prevent fraud, SoCure has the expertise and technology to help. Join the digital identity revolution with SoCure and help build a more secure, efficient, and equitable world. Visit SoCure.com to learn more. That's S-O-C-U-R-E.com.
0: There's a lot of requirements that are created that need to be fulfilled, but they don't necessarily serve those end users. And what's really important is, you know, they are going through modernization because they want more efficiencies, because they want to be able to provide better services to their constituents. And so what we need to start doing is thinking about how do all of these requirements impact those users Because it's not robotic process automation. It's not something that you set it in motion and it gets done, right? The whole idea is with all of these platforms we're purchasing and modernization projects that are taking place, is that again, we're gonna create efficiencies, but what we have failed to realize is that the individuals who are going to leverage these systems have very infrequently been considered when it comes to, will this make their job easier? Will it actually help them become efficient? Or does it just become another burden for them to have to overcome in their roles?
2: Welcome back to the Government Huddle Podcast, guys. I'm your host, Brian Chittister. Customer satisfaction and government haven't always gone hand in hand. And while improving citizen experience has been a focus of the federal government for the past few years, it's only recently that the government began talking about customer experience. And now that focus has been accelerated in state and local governments, as they're determined to provide citizens with the same level of service they expect from their banks, internet providers, and doctor's offices. Traditionally, the government has not necessarily associated customers as citizens, but today's focus on the customer of government promises to prioritize the citizen experience in navigating government services, as opposed to just delivering services that check the box. And my guest today, Megan Gallagher, head of state and local government at WalkMe, is going to explain how the emphasis on CX at the federal level has influenced state and local governments to become more intentional about experience. We're also going to talk about the importance of change management during the implementation process to support adoption of these programs, why data must be a tool that's used in that process, and why governments should be focusing internally on their employees to create better CX for their constituents. Megan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here today.
0: Brian, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be speaking with you today.
2: I always love a good conversation around customer experience, so I've been looking forward to this one. But before we jump into some of those questions I have for you, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what you're doing at WalkMe?
0: Absolutely. So I always think it's important to know a little bit about somebody behind what they quote unquote do for a living. So personally, I am a huge outdoor enthusiast and a semi-pro rock climber in the sense <laughs> that you have sponsorships from specific organizations, shoe sponsorship, chalk sponsorship, stuff like that. So I'm really, really passionate about solving problems, as you can probably tell from what I choose to do in my free time. When it comes to work, I've actually been at WalkMe for six and a half years, which is remarkable. (laughs) Time really does fly. And I've worked in many different capacities across WalkMe and seen all of the benefits that the private sector has been able to get from leveraging a digital adoption platform. So last year, when Billy Biggs asked me to join our newly formed public sector team as the director of SLED, state and local government higher education, I was you know, diving in headfirst into the deep end. So I've been learning a lot over the past year about what is unique to government c- procurement and what the unique needs and struggles are of government.
2: That's awesome. I, I love Billy. Um, he's, as a lot of my listeners might know, he's a former guest on the show, but I've known Billy for a while, have a lot of respect for him and have been kind of watching from the outside at what he's doing over at WalkMe. It's it's really cool. It's also one of the reasons why I, I wanted to have you on because what you guys are doing is is just kind of, for me, changing the landscape of things. But before we do that, I have, I have another question, actually. So I always love learning more about my guests. And I didn't know that about you, that you do rock climbing. I am I get into running. I haven't been able to run for a little bit, but I love running. And one of the things that I've found from running is how much it's taught me about myself and resilience and just um, perseverance. But I'm curious, from your standpoint... When you get rock climbing or you get into kind of some of your, your climbs, what, what are you usually thinking about? What is it kind of given you and what are some of the takeaways beyond just the tangible exercise, right? What are some of those mental takeaways that you get from it?
0: Oh man. I mean, what a fantastic question because rock climbing really requires a physical fortitude like no other sport. You're, you're redlining when you're, you know, trying your hardest moves on a, on a climb called the crux. But also you have to be very much so pragmatic about when you deploy that energy, how you actually figure out the beta of that specific climb. Beta, for anyone out there who doesn't know, is how are you going to sequence it? How are you going to move your body? So there's this mind-body connection that occurs with climbing that is incredibly unique. And there's also moments of having to work through extreme fear. Right, Your brain is telling you, oh, my goodness, this is incredibly dangerous, but you're also trying to push through that so that you can get the reward of, quote unquote, sending your project, which is when you complete the climb. So it's actually taught me a lot about how to think critically in very stressful situations, but also how to design something in a way where you are putting specific amounts of energy forward during certain moments of time. So probably a long-winded answer, but there's a lot to be gained from the practice of rock climbing.
2: I I love it. I mean, I'm someone who loves heights and I've gone skydiving a couple times, but one of the things that I always tell myself for anybody who's out there who's ever um, gone skydiving, I can imagine that every single time I went, I just had to tell myself, "Just just get out of the door, kind of get out of your head and just get out of the door. It's probably very similar to that kind of fear factor you talked about, but the reward, I mean, that's the thing I found. The rewards on the other side of in anything is like this, right? The all the greatest things are on the other side of that fear or that discomfort. Um, I imagine rock climbing has very much taught you that.
0: It has. It has definitely. And please give me some advice on how you got yourself to jump out of a plane because it's on my long list of to-dos, but I haven't worked up enough courage to make it happen yet.
2: It's it's totally worth it. I've gone I've only gone twice. The first time was obviously uh, incredibly nerve wracking. So I, I told myself I had to go a second time, so I would enjoy it a little bit more. And it's still nerve wracking, but definitely more enjoyable the second time.
0: I bet. Cause you, you actually know you're not going to die.
2: It will. I mean, you never know you're not going to die, but you just have more, you just have more comfort, I guess, in what to expect and you can enjoy it a little bit more. is probably the best way I can put it.
0: That makes a lot of sense.
2: So let's jump into some of these questions I have for you for the real reason you came onto the show. Um, around customer experience employee experience i wanted to pick your brain a little bit because this is something that we hear a lot about within public sector especially the federal level with the recent executive order i guess it's recent in 2021 Uh, but things are very disparate at the state and local level i'm wondering can you tell the audience a little bit about what you're seeing right now in these areas and also kind of what you're hearing from all of these leaders you're having conversations with on a regular basis
0: Yes, that is definitely something that I've encountered as we continue to work through agencies, departments, and then within states that are centralized and decentralized when it comes to their strategy for IT. So depending on the state that we're speaking with, you know, there could be a centralized IT strategy, but what we do come across more frequently than not is that decentralized approach. Every agency, every department has their own way to go about doing something, which can be incredibly challenging for the employees, and also the constituents who are trying to receive services from those different organizations and departments. So when it comes to digital adoption, which is something, again, that the private sector has been leveraging our platform for the past about decade now, it's been challenging to get a unified voice or to be able to kind of help them understand what the true benefits will be, because there are so many different centers of excellence if you would within IT within the government on a state level.
2: I want to probe there a little bit because it's something I wanted to bring up with you change management adoption is is vitally important and I feel like over the past few years it's not something that not just government but but the private sector as well hasn't had to focus on as much because of the pandemic, right? We the example I always use is like Microsoft Teams or Zoom you didn't you didn't have to drive adoption. There was just a draconian need for adoption, right? You literally couldn't do your job on a day-to-day basis or communicate with anyone if you didn't adopt this platform and understand how to use it. Teams is an even better example because there's so many intricacies and in, in different workflows that, that go through it. So you literally have to be in there and driving um, or using it to drive your job every single day but it's not really the case anymore. As we bring things on, change management and adoption of these platforms has to be top of mind for these technology leaders. Why do you think it's so important? And what are some of the things that you're seeing organizations do to drive this adoption so they can get to outcomes?
0: So I think that when it comes to leveraging more modern technologies, the government is trying to get there, right? There's so many modernization projects that are happening across every state and local government here in the U.S. right now. And I think that something that is potentially lost on these individuals because they have, and I don't mean this harshly, but maybe some antiquated Um, ways of going about purchasing, there's a lot of requirements that are created that need to be fulfilled, but they don't necessarily serve those end users. And what's really important is, you know, they are going through modernization because they want more efficiencies, because they want to be able to provide better services to their constituents. And so what we need to start doing is thinking about how do all of these requirements impact those users because it's not robotic process automation it's not something that you set it in motion and it gets done right the whole idea is with all of these platforms we're purchasing and modernization projects that are taking place is that again we're going to create efficiencies but what we have failed to realize is that the individuals who are going to leverage these systems have very infrequently been considered when it comes to will this make their job easier will it actually help them become efficient or does it just become another burden for them to have to overcome in their roles?
2: It's it's one of the things that, and one of my recent guests, Jen Palka, kind of talked about, and she she went kind of at length at in her book, Recoding America, she talks about kind of putting the employer, putting the citizen kind of at the center of what you're looking to do, and then working out from there and not just essentially throwing technology at the problem, but really getting to the heart of what you're trying to achieve and then figure out the best strategy to approach it. I think it's it's absolutely the, the right thing to do and something that we've seen government fail at for a while. And frankly, a lot of organizations, even outside of government, have failed at that. It's it's not an easy thing to do.
0: I couldn't agree more. And the difference between, I think, government and the private sector, where the private sector is motivated by profit and loss right pnl so when they roll out these new saas applications that are meant to help with efficiency process opti- process optimization or cost cutting measures all of those things they're driving towards because they are looking to increase profits or you know do something that's going to help them make money or save money. That's what motivates people. But government is a totally different breed, right? They're not operating under this P&L. Maybe they should be, but they're not. <laughs> um, and you know, the only thing that we have to measure the success is, what was the initial idea behind this? What were we trying to achieve? Not did we check off every single requirement along the way? It kind of gets lost in the sauce because of, and I actually read Jen's book, this waterfall methodology right? And so the private sector has been deploying Agile, which for those of you who are listening and are not aware, waterfalls when a decision is made, and then that slowly flows all the way down into the point of execution or implementation. And when we talk about Agile, we are course correcting as we go, because we recognize when we come up with an idea of something, it's going to change a lot when you actually go and set it in motion. And we take that into account as we go. So the government has been really poor, unfortunately, at doing this because they don't have people like the private sector does to kind of be product managers or people who are boots on the ground to observe, Okay, did we actually achieve this and how do we actually fine tune it and continue to tweak it to get the results that we're looking for? So digital transformation or modernization is an incredibly difficult task because as soon as you start it, you're already behind because the technology has already evolved.
2: Yeah. I I think that's spot on. I mean, that's another thing that she talks about is you get into delivery, 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 and you have this thing and you're not doing anything for days and weeks and months, but you have this thing that you're working on and you finally deliver it. And not only is it antiquated, but now you have different problems that you're trying to solve. And it's one of the reasons why government wasn't prepared for the pandemic because they didn't have the flexibility to be able to pivot and move on a platform that allows that, that fluidity.
0: Absolutely. And to be fair, They weren't set up to or designed in a way to meet those citizen expectations or the burden was put on the employees of the state to figure it out when it was something that they they had a lot of rigidity. There wasn't a lot of flexibility. And that's why I'm so passionate about bringing the word of digital adoption to government, because it's really hard to hard code changes into systems. It's very difficult to get a third party application to change their underlying source code. So how can we actually become our own product managers? How do we actually create this agile approach when we have these very rigid and inflexible systems? And WalkMe being a UI overlay, you know, we can essentially deploy on top of any application and accommodate for that end user experience to streamline all the points of digital friction for users. And again, the private sector has been benefiting from this for about a decade now. And we really, really are hoping to impact both employee experience as well as the digital citizen experience.
2: I like that you brought up employee experience because one of the things that I really believe is that a solid employee experience really drives an outcome-based uh, customer experience or citizen experience. What have you found? Have you been working with with governments? Are they really focused on, on EX as much as they should? And are, what are some of the things that they can be doing to really engage their employees and help them become more efficient?
0: So the sad truth is that they are much more concerned with optics in some cases, right? The digital citizen experiences, something that they focus on more, which great. We love that you care more about or you care about how citizens are experiencing services or digital services, but far too often the employees are the ones bearing the burden of all of that, right? We oh, we're putting in a new call center, we're deploying this new ticketing system, right? And it's so that, you know, maybe constituents have this better experience, but then who are the people that are left to actually learn that new system and actually have to navigate the complexity of that technology? It's the state employee. And far too many times are they thinking about that as like the last component versus thinking about it from an employee first perspective.
2: Well, and this is one of the things that that I love talking about is how interrelated all of these different topics and technologies really are when we get into employee experience and we talk about making them more efficient, we're, we're freeing them up, we're making them more efficient so they can be working on things that are more challenging or uh, we talked about critical thinking earlier, letting them be critical thinkers and actually working on on problems they need to solve instead of things that technology can automate and do. And I say it's interrelated because just something as simple as that can also impact employee retention and recruitment, knowing that they're gonna be coming in and doing meaningful work. Yes, the mission is meaningful, but at the end of the day, if you're showing up every day and you're working towards a mission you believe in, but really what you're doing every day is is data entry or manual things that, that you don't have to be, it's not something that really fills you up and makes you wanna stay, but if you're there and you're really solving the problems that your constituency has, on a regular basis, that gives you more of a reason to stay and work and and continue to drive that mission forward, in my opinion.
0: I couldn't agree more with you. If I came to work every day and the biggest hurdle I had to overcome was all the different platforms that I'm supposed to leverage in my day-to-day to accomplish my job, I wouldn't be very inspired. What I am inspired by is being able to come and work with all of these fantastic thought leaders in government and individuals who are forward-thinking and talk about how can we solve the employee experience, the digital citizen experience? How can we create delightful moments for these people in their day-to-day so that they can continue to feel like either A, they are doing a job that's meaningful to them, or B, that their state and local government is serving their needs?
2: What I've always found interesting there is you would think that the best way to deliver these, these outcomes and to get a more personalized experience is to have more human interaction, more human intervention. Uh, but it's actually, the funny dichotomy there is it's actually the opposite. If you can get something automated and it, it delivers a better experience, you're not only getting the citizen, if it's a call center, you're getting them off the phone or off their website with a, with a, a solid outcome, a positive outcome. But you're also freeing up, this is what we had talked about before, you're freeing up that call center agent or that employee to do other things. And to me, I, I always found that, that interesting because you're trying to drive that personalized experience. What are you seeing across this and what type of, um, what type of value is government getting when there isn't as much human interaction in the process?
0: I mean, first and foremost, I think when you think about the digital citizen experience, and I'll I'll pose this question to you, Brian, when we came up with the technology to be able to take a photograph of a check and make a deposit on your phone, were you sad that you didn't have to go to the brick and mortar bank anymore to go and make your deposits? Or were you <laughs> pleasantly surprised and delighted by being able to do it from the comfort of your own home.
2: I was devastated like everybody. <laughs> no, of course. I mean it it makes it so much easier to be able to um just not get immediate an immediate outcome, but then you can move on with your day and not have to worry about it anymore.
0: Exactly. So if you think about I don't know, being able to apply for real ID, right? All these states DMVs Mm -hmm. are tasked with being able to get people access to that real ID. Imagine if you could upload all those documents online, go into the DMV and, you know, verify and boom, you could be done, right? For some constituents, that's a reality. I can say that as a constituent of California, right? That's my reality. However, that's not the reality across all 50 states, And so I know that that would be the preference for people versus having to go into the brick and mortar, having to make photocopies of everything, having to do it all in person. So the more that we can create simplified experiences for citizens, and take that burden off of them, I think the better, because they don't have an option, right? I have to use the DMV, I can't go somewhere else and take my business somewhere else, it's the only one available. And then on the flip side, think about that person working at the DMV. Think about the fact that they're not fighting the system itself to try to get through all of this, ask that person at the desk redundant questions, watching the line get longer and longer as they're trying to service people. They get the opportunity to have people come in, it's all uploaded and ready to go, and now they can process people faster, and again, they can get. Get through the things that are task oriented and actually do something that's more meaningful with their time, right? We can get more done with more efficiency in these systems.
2: You bring that up as bringing up the anxiety around, I have to go renew my passport next <laughs> month and I'm already having anxiety around it just because of how I know the process is going to go and, and what it's going to take and what I need to aggregate and all of that. Um, one of the things that I think is so important when it comes to digital experience is the implementation of human centered design because you're trying to drive a digital experience you're also trying to drive a personal experience how are you seeing human-centered design being deployed at the state and local level with some of the the organizations that you're working with
0: they're taking a very nuanced approach to this and something that we're hoping to see replicated across other states for those more innovative states, they're thinking, well, how can we figure out how this process is for the end user? How can we understand where those digital friction points are, right? You can sit somebody down and you can watch them go through it. Very few people have the opportunity or time to actually go through and watch a citizen go through a process and determine where those issues are. Rather, they're understanding that we can leverage data we can understand through user analytics or user behavior tracking where those moments of digital friction occur. And that's with our platform WalkMe, right? It's identifying where are the roadblocks and actually caring about that, and then going and implementing change for the user to streamline those areas of digital friction. So what we're seeing with the more innovative and forward-thinking states are that this is the approach that we should take, right? We should understand how are we impacting our users, whether they're employees of the state or citizens and constituents, and then thinking, okay, how can we improve upon this? We had an idea, we generated a digital service or we purchased a SaaS application or we had something implemented by Accenture, Deloitte, whomever, right, where they custom built this solution. And now we have the opportunity to look at data and understand where are the friction points. This is completely revolutionary. To be mm-hmm. able to without sitting somebody down and watching them go through it and aggregating large data sets, right? Maybe one user is more digitally dexterous than the other. They might have no issue. But what about everybody? What about every single user? Let's measure where these moments of friction occur and let's go and salt for it.
2: That's the thing when when Billy and I were talking about this a few years ago that I found, and you use the word revolutionary, I I think that's a great word for it, but that's the thing that I found so interesting was. Not only is this something that on a day-to-day tactical level can your employees be rolling out, but from a higher level, you can leverage this to become more data-driven, figure out those friction points, and be able to alleviate that friction. How are you seeing the organizations you're working with, how are you seeing them set up to be able to leverage a program like that to become more data-driven? Do you think they are in a position where they can kind of sit back, take a look at this, this data, and really use it actionably?
0: Well, I think that it's our job as a digital adoption provider and you know the leader in this space to educate people in state and local government on how to go about doing that, right? It is known, again, through Recoding America, Jen does a great job of pointing out we don't have product managers. So the first thing we have to do is say, hey, you own this this is your project. You have control over it. You can have insight and data. So we have to teach them to look for this, to leverage this information in a way that's meaningful to them. It's not intuitive because there's never been data like this on user experience available to them. So it's our job to say, great, you know what? It's not just about streamlining the process. It's having much more of like a scalpel versus a butter knife approach here. Let's not put guidance all over everything with users. Let's not assume that they don't know how to do anything in this system. Let's monitor. Let's watch. Let's see where the friction occurs. And then let's be very precise about where we provide help for users, because we know this is the moment that they struggle. But yes, do the states see this as intuitive or, hey, yeah, we should use this data in this way. No, it's our job to educate the market and help them understand this is how you can leverage this user behavior data so that you can then go and deploy smart solutions that don't have a ton of maintenance and upkeep because you're not creating something for everyone. You're creating something for the people who need it.
2: Are there patterns you're seeing in in working with these these government agencies? Are there patterns you're seeing and things that they have set up from like an infrastructure perspective that when you come in, you know, they're ready to go to be able to kind of ingest this data and leverage it accordingly? Or is it just kind of a a one by one figuring that out? Uh, I'm really curious because it feels like something if you could see some of these traits at a high level, and you could replicate some of these traits, you could be ready to be able to become a more data driven organization.
0: Absolutely. It's such a great question. I will compare two states, I won't say who, on their approach to health and human services. One state has a centralized platform that they use to work with everybody in health and human services to deliver to the constituents or citizens. And another state has a very decentralized approach, has absorbed, created departments, destroyed departments, Blended them together. And, you know, this is a quote direct from somebody who works there. We have over 200 different systems that we use for something like, I don't know, vital records, right? So the states that aren't necessarily there yet are the ones that are still operating in this very decentralized way where they're using, you know, for 10 people, this platform, because this department used to use that. And then for 100 people over here, we use this platform. And then we're trying to figure out ways to make them all communicate, right? Versus the ones who have taken a bit of a more modern approach and said, you know what, we can't do it this way anymore. We have to consolidate, we have to take an approach that's going to be Uh, meaningful and going to achieve the outcomes that we really want. And they take a hard line of, we're going to go to this system. And yes, that's going to be painful in the moment. But once you have everybody working in the same way, that's when you can really tackle digital adoption. Because you can, again, accommodate for the general user experience on this platform versus saying, okay, we have 200 different platforms and we have to figure out for 200 different platforms how we're going to make the user experience better.
2: One of the questions I I love posing to kind of leaders in the customer experience space is around the impetus for bettering government experiences for citizens, besides the obvious. But if I have a good experience at Amazon or Starbucks, I'm going to go back, right? I'm not going to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to go to Dunkin' to get my coffee now. I'm probably going to say, hey, it was so easy at Starbucks. I'm going to go get my coffee here. That isn't a choice I have with. Next month when I have to get my passport renewed, I don't have a choice. There is only one government I go to, to get my passport renewed. And that process is going to be what it's going to be. And I have to just deal with it. What do you see as being the impetus though? Because loyalty is obviously important in a consumer driven, uh, organization that looks at, at monetary ROI. What is the ROI and what is the impetus for government organizations to drive a better customer experience?
0: I think something that we all know is people get involved in government because they are oftentimes really passionate about helping serve the most vulnerable populations, right? How do we put safety systems, support systems in place? How do we ensure that we're able to provide the necessary and vital services to people? So we have to start from there. So people in government, they do it because they're passionate about serving people, And so one of the things that we oftentimes should care about, I'm not sure we always get it right, but that when we are providing the most vulnerable populations with services, it could be death by a 1,000 paper cuts for them, right? We lose the trust of those people because we try to hit every requirement. We try to make sure we're asking all the right questions. But we put that burden and that onus on those individuals who are already so strapped for time, for money, for resources. And we're making it really difficult for them to get those resources from the government. So we're disenfranchising them, we're breaking their trust, and we're alienating the state population in a certain sense. So it's not about, you know, oh, we want to re-engage with them so they come back again. It's like, we want to be able to actually serve these people who we've designed these systems for. We want to make sure that they aren't disenfranchised, that they are able to achieve what they've set out to do in a way that didn't cause them a ton of heartache.
2: I think that's a great answer. I I mean, there's so many reasons. And I think that one definitely is at the top of my list. I think making sure that everyone has equitable access to these services, uh, irregardless of your situation um, and creating. That's that's the other thing that people don't think about when they think about customer experience. And I know WalkMe really specializes in digital experience, but you have to really take into consideration all the different ways that citizens engage with government, right? The experience has to be great in person, just like it has to be great on a, on a mobile device, a tablet or a desktop computer. Um, and making sure you're, you're native across all of those things is, is vitally important in the way you're engaging citizens. So I think making sure it's set up that way is, is really, really important.
0: It really is, which is why I'm in the business of, bringing the good word of digital adoption to government, because I think it's unfair for the private sector to be the only ones who are getting the benefits of this, right? It should be that everybody who has an interaction with a digital service provided by government, they have that same opportunity to be able to have an experience that is streamlined, that is easier, that takes into account the fact that there's gonna be different levels of digital dexterity for each of the users who are engaging.
2: Before I give you a chance to leave some final thoughts for the listeners, I do want to ask you. So you said you read Jen's book, what was your favorite chapter of the book? And I'll give you a chance to, to think about it. I one of my favorites was was the chapter around concrete boats. And they they talked about if you get an order to go build concrete boats and you're procuring stuff to build concrete boats, you're just gonna follow through and you're gonna build a concrete boat. Even though it's probably not going to work. It's probably not going to float. At the end of the day, I'm going to go build it because that's what I was asked to do. And I won't get in trouble if I do what I was asked to do. But I think what I love that Jen talks about in that chapter is the need for having people within an organization to raise your hand and say, hey, this doesn't make sense. I know what you're asking me to do, but ultimately what what we need to do to get to here, which is what I'm trying to do, is, is kind of accomplish the mission that we're trying to get to we need this. We don't need a concrete boat. And to me that, that resonated. I thought that was such an important message, but I'm curious, what was one of your favorite takeaways from the book?
0: Well, you referenced one of my favorites, right? Because I had to steal. That's why I had to go first, right? Yeah. Well, also, you know, you've heard me mention the term product manager a few times Mm -hmm. during that conversation. And so I think that for me is when she nailed it down to that specific thing of, we don't have somebody that's monitoring or filtering information that is, okay, this was the intention of these requirements. This was the intention of the policy, right? Yeah. But this is actually the outcome that we're getting. And having somebody who has the power or is empowered to actually go and say, okay, we've interpreted this in a way where we've built something that doesn't work. Let's go ahead and make sure that we're now not just taking feedback from users, but again, seeing where they're, experiencing these issues and then go back up the waterfall and say, hey, I don't think this this was your intention. Let's talk through this and let's make sure that what we're providing is something that works to those users. So I think that for me was the aha moment of, wow, we don't have that in government. We don't have anybody that's manning that position of, this was your intention with the policy you created, but this was the actual outcome. And it blew my mind that we didn't have the ability to communicate through that chain of command in that way.
2: Yeah, I think that was that was a really good takeaway. I think there like to to seal your phrase, there were a lot of aha moments for me, but I think that was a really really good one. Meg, before we let you go, any final thoughts you want to leave with our listeners?
0: No, I I just want to say I really appreciate the opportunity to come on here and chat with you today, Brian. I'm very excited about our mission here at WalkMe to improve digital services for constituents and to delight employees of government because I think far too often people experience a few too many roadblocks and then they get really discouraged. And I think government is something that is wonderful and can offer so many wonderful services. And I want to make sure that I'm part of that army of people that Jen's trying to inspire to go out there and be the change that you want to see, be the reason that people believe in government and not another reason for why they just feel disenfranchised.
2: That's a that's a great way to leave it. Um, I, I know we'll be talking again because my, my oldest is really trying to get me to go rock climbing. He absolutely loves it and he keeps pushing me to, to, to go. So I'm guessing I'm going to be reaching out to get some some tips from you on on how to not look silly while i'm doing it but i really appreciate you coming on the show this has been a lot of fun
0: thank you so much brian and reach out anytime i'm happy to help you look less like a gumby as they say <laughs> in the rock climbing world
2: might not be possible this has been the government huddle podcast you can access more episodes of the show by heading over to governmenthuddle.com or wherever you listen to your podcast and feel free to connect with me on linkedin or twitter at B. thanks for listening guys bye for now